the author. Today's tale, The Constant Swimmer. Hello, caller. What is the nature of your emergency? said the polite and professional voice. Carol scratched her head, looking out at the swimming pool, searching for the right words. I'm not really sure who I need to speak to. I'm not really sure how much of an emergency it is, she said, eventually, feeling foolish. The woman on the other end of the line sighed. Madam, if you're not calling about an emergency, you need to call your local police station or general practitioner. This number is for... It's my husband, Carol said, cutting across her. He just... She looked out at the pool, nestled in the corner of the sprawling garden, with its perfectly cut grass and immaculate flower beds. He can't stop swimming. Francis Sanders was in an irate mood when he arrived at his local leisure centre earlier that week. His day had been wretched. The car being broken into, Perkins, the smarmy little git, and his tiresome digs all the way through the board meeting... And now he had to swim in the public pool with all the child noise and pissy water and mandatory shoe covers. How did these places remain open? The sooner the heater in his brand new pool was installed, the better. But he had promised the doctor at least 200 lengths a week. So this would have to do for now. He carefully placed each item of his suit on the clothes hanger he'd bought from home, which was an effort in its in this stuffy little cubicle, and unceremoniously pulled on his trunks. He saw that most of the young people wore swimming shorts these days, but Francis wasn't ashamed. It's what God had given him, so why be bashful? He hung up his suit in a locker, strapped on his custom-made 200-pound goggles, and made his way to the poolside. There were so many children, poor children at that. Their parents were sat in the stands, not paying any attention to what their little brats were doing. Ludicrous. Francis said out loud as he looked at them all. Why do they even bother? Is this how they relax? 45 minutes to check Facebook or BuzzFeed or whatever a week? Was that their idea of relaxation? A child ran across his path and dive-bombed into the pool. A harassed-looking lifeguard strode over, blowing his whistle. One more of those and I will have to ask you to leave, he said as the kid giggled madly. Give him a lifetime ban while you're at it, Francis chimed in. The lifeguard gave him a polite smile with a hint of a frown. Have a good swim, sir, he said, before wandering back to his high chair. Francis shook his head and continued to walk round the pool to the shallow end of the lanes. In the slowest lane there were two old ladies, one doing doggy paddle and another seemingly doing no stroke at all, just sort of bobbing there. It had been almost three decades since he had last swum, but he was surely going to be quicker than these two manatees. He looked over at the medium lane. Five twenty-somethings were breaststroking, but incredibly quickly. There was no way he was going to keep up. Hell's teeth, he said under his breath, as the doggy paddling woman reached the edge of the pool, gave Francis a shy smile, and proceeded off at a snail's pace in the other direction. Francis clumsily sat down, dangling his legs in the water, and lowered himself in. Well, he came back from work about six hours ago, which is unusual for him, as he usually doesn't get home till late in the evening. He didn't say anything to me at all. He just walked straight outside, stripped down to his pants, threw his clothes in the hedge and jumped in the pool. He's been front crawling ever since. 
Carol looked at the paramedic, trying to gauge how seriously she was taking it. She stared at Francis in the pool, looking puzzled. And you say he hasn't swum before, she said, slightly disbelievingly. No, well, I mean, he started at the local pool a few days ago, but I've never known him to so much as doggy paddle before then. Francis grabbed the edge of the pool before kicking off again. His office is worried. They called the house half an hour ago, saying that they'd been trying to reach him all day. Apparently, he urinated in a conference table and told the congregated group of collies to go and... Well, you can imagine. The paramedic crouched down at the edge of the pool. She still looked very suspicious, as if she wasn't sure whether this was a prank. Mr. Sanders, can you hear me? Francis did not break stroke. Mr. Sanders, it's ten degrees out here. Wouldn't you like to come inside now? It must be freezing. Still, Francis continued to swim. The paramedic looked utterly perplexed. What do you suppose we do? We should do? asked Carol. Francis stood in the shallow end for a long time, waiting for the manatee to get far enough away. This whole place was repulsive, he thought to himself. The halogen lights were hurting his eyes, even through his opulent goggles. The water was slightly too cold to be totally comfortable, and he was surely going to swim headfirst into one of the many fat folds of his swimming companions. Eventually, she stopped at the other side to take a rest. The other woman had stopped too for a natter. They were obviously friends. Repulsively overweight friends. Francis wrinkled his nose. He decided he'd do a couple and then call it a night. He sunk down, submerging himself totally, and kicked off from the wall. All of Francis' negative thoughts were gone in an instant as he lifted his arm and began to stroke. Indeed, any thoughts that weren't directly to do with how wonderful he felt in that water right at that moment were wiped clean. All that mattered was his breathing, his stroking, the way his body manipulated the water to propel him, the way the water felt on his face as he submerged again after a breath, the way he imagined his legs were on an outboard motor, not just there for speed, but for direction and to keep him afloat, and the way his whole body was working in perfect symmetry. It was beautiful. The odd hazy thoughts came back to his head intermittently, between breaths. He remembered when he was seven, achieving his 100-metre badge, which he proudly sewed onto his trunks. Then there was that time he was in Canada, when his dad had made him promise not to swim too far into the lake. But he did anyway, and his dad panicked and deployed every boat he could get hold of to bring Francis back. Francis was fine, though. His dad should have known that. His doctor had been strict and blunt with him. Exercise regularly or you will die, early and horribly. Francis waved him off as a scaremongerer. How the hell could running up a hill or lifting a few dumbbells make, make him feel better? The only form of exercise Francis considered appropriate was swimming, so he started building a pool. The doctor had been unimpressed. You can't put this off forever. For God's sake, go to the local pool and at least get started. Who knows, you might actually enjoy something for the first time in your life. Francis thought he must remember to thank that quack next time he had an appointment. Francis would have happily kept going in order to complete the whole 200 that night, but his session came to an end when the lifeguard waved him down. I'm very sorry, sir, but we're shutting, he said, with the same frown-laced smile he had used earlier. Francis immediately felt his anxieties creep over his body and mind as he reluctantly clambered out of the pool. As he walked through into his kitchen later that evening, he found his wife screaming down the phone. I don't hear 
I don't care how much it costs. Just fix it. What the hell do we pay you for? She threw the phone down on a nearby sofa. Idiot. Francis winced. What's the matter, dear? He asked as he gave her a stiff kiss on the cheek. It's the caterer for the auction on Saturday. Apparently, their stock of quail was off when it was delivered. But if I told him once, I told him a million times, it's quail or nothing. That's what it said on the invite, so that's what people have paid. £5,000 a head to eat. Why do you smell of chlorine? She asked Francis sharply. I went for a swim, he said, opening the fridge and pulling out a bowl of leftover roast chicken. It was fun, he said, turning to face his wife. She wasn't listening. I might give David a call, see if he has enough quail in to cover us. And she swept from the room. Francis shook his head, grabbing a handful of chicken and walking to the window. He could just about see the outline of the pool through the darkness. He stared at it for another 45 minutes, fantasising about stripping off his clothes and jumping in as Carol continued to shout at people down the phone in the lounge. The police officer stared transfixed at the middle-aged man as he swam back and forth through the chilly water. Maybe it's for charity, he said, not able to take his eyes off Francis. Carol scoffed. Charity? Francis? I don't think so. The man hasn't given to charity since the 80s. I'm the charitable one in this house. Actually, I've got an auction coming up. Why don't you get in there, see whether he's okay? the police officer said to the paramedic, ignoring Carol. I'm worried it's some sort of psychotic episode. I'm not used to these sorts of things. My colleague is ringing the hospital for advice at the moment. Then why did you call me? said the policeman, looking confused. I don't know, said the paramedic, looking exasperated. I guess I just thought he might need to be restrained or something at some point. Restrained? said Carol, sounding shocked. He doesn't need to be restrained. He's a peaceful man. A peaceful man who has been swimming non-stop for seven hours, Mrs Sanders, despite, in your words, not being much of a swimmer. I think you'll agree this is highly unusual. The paramedic finished, turning to the police officer. What do you propose we do? she asked. He edged closer to the pool. I mean, he looks fine, to be honest, he said, pulling out his mobile phone. I think it's time we widen the forum. Francis went to work late the next day. The swimming had evidently taken its toll, and he had overslept for the first time in decades. Carol, why the ruddy hell didn't you wake me? He yelled as he hastily pulled on his suit jacket on the way down down the stairs. She was sat in the kitchen browsing the morning's daily telegraph. What was that, Francis? Aren't you supposed to be at work? She asked, looking up from the paper. Francis grabbed a banana and his car keys from the breakfast table. Did you not even notice I was still in bed when you got up this morning? He asked, looking at her sharply. Sorry, dear, Carol said, looking back down at the paper. Have a good day. Francis shook his head before leaving through the front door. His car, an Aldi R8, bought just a year ago, still had one of its windows missing. One of the garage apprentices had hastily fixed a bin liner in its place, like that would stop potential thieves. Still, Francis had no time to wait for someone to come out and repair it. He got in the driver's side, checking the glove compartment to make sure nothing was taken, and drove off. The broken window was bothering him a lot less today. He arrived at work to a bunch of stupid questions. Where have you been? And why didn't you tell us you were coming in late? Jesus, it was 9.30. You would have thought he'd been missing for days. Still, best make something up. I was at the police station, reporting the break-in. Took a little longer than expected. 
Actually, that reminds me. Andrew, can you call out the AA to fix the window? He finished. His eager assistant dashed off to make the necessary arrangements. Well, next time be sure to let us know, Perkins said, already halfway back to his office. What an awful little man he was. Ten years younger than Francis, but with more education and contacts. It was no secret that Perkins was gunning for Francis's chair, just waiting for him to make a mistake. Francis went to his office and sunk into his chair, sighing deeply. After 20 minutes of sitting quietly, he thought he'd better actually do some work. What was wrong with him today? All his motivation seemed to have disappeared. He fired up his email and started reading through them, a nagging buzz of boredom reverberating in his head. It was at this point when Francis realised just how little he enjoyed his job, and always had. Francis, Nash is on the warpath. He seems to think we pulled him out of STV too early and cost him money. Do you mind dropping him a line to calm him down? An email said. Nash doesn't need any more money. Tell him to shove STV up his ample rump, the ungrateful bastard, thought Francis. Francis, a bit confused by some of the paperwork Davis logged yesterday. Looks like there are some irregularities. Have attached for your perusal. That's it. You all snitch on each other. Trample your way up the ladder, just like me and Perkins did. You'll make a fine executive, you horrible rat. These people were abhorrent. He reached the most recent email. Francis, due to your late start this morning, we may have lost the Antwerp account. Please call him as soon as you can and talk him down from the ledge. There's a good chap. Perkins, I couldn't really give a fuck about Antwerp. The guy might as well be a fascist despot for all his charm and personality. And if you ever talked down to me like that again, I'll shove those £3,000 winkle pickers so far down your throat, you'll be tasting the Italian leather for the next year. Whoops, Francis said to himself, smiling broadly. Accidentally press send. What's his backstory? I need to sell it to my editor. The journalist had arrived ten minutes earlier and wasted no time in grilling Carol about Francis. Carol looked flabbergasted. She turned to the policeman, who still could not take his eyes off Francis. Why the hell did he call a bloody journalist? How's that going to help? She said sternly. I don't know. Thought it was interesting, I guess. The policeman and the paramedic were stood either side of the pool, the paramedic making sure his breathing seemed normal. Her colleague had been called out again, but they both agreed she should stay there just in case. This is a pretty nice house, Mrs Sanders. I assume your husband has a pretty cushy job, the journalist pressed. What makes you think it's him that has the high-paying job, Carol said, affronted. So it's your money then? Your husband is a kept man? You're a sugar mama? What the hell is it? Look, he is the CEO of a small investment firm in a city. He has been for the last ten years or so, Carol responded, harassed. Is it Goldman? Oh, please say it's Goldman, the journalist asked eagerly. No, it's not Goldman, Carol said, walking away from the journalist towards the paramedic. Okay, I might say it's Goldman anyway. Makes for a better story, you know? The journalist said, scribbling in a notebook. Are you sure he's all right? Carol asked the paramedic. Can I be honest with you? The paramedic whispered, looking round to make sure the other two weren't listening. I think he's having a nervous breakdown. I don't know who to call. All I can do is make sure he doesn't drown or have a heart attack or whatever. What you really need is a psychologist, Mrs Sanders, she finished, resuming listening to Frances breathing from the side of the pool. Carol ran her hands through her hair, thinking. After a few moments, she walked purposely back to the house and fetched her address book. Francis drove home later that evening with his passenger side window replaced. 
He hadn't heard a peep out of Perkins for the rest of the day until he received an email just before he left, informing him a meeting had been organised for the next morning with the board members in order to, d- to discuss managerial problems. Perkins had chosen not to respond to Francis' Francis's diatribe, despite the fact he obviously wanted to, and was instead using the incident to make a power play. This had put Francis back in a terrible mood. All the good work the swim had done the night before appeared to have been erased in one sleazy, oily, pug-nosed instant. All Francis could think about was getting home, eating some sort of meat and cheese combination, and planning how exactly he would bring Perkins down. He was also determined to actually ring the police to investigate the car break-in. Essentially, he just wanted to make someone else's life a misery. That was sure to make him feel better. It had worked so well so often in the past. The radio suddenly blurted on. Francis had used the traffic report function in all his previous cars since the 90s, but he never got used to it. The A1 is closed between Islington and Upper Holloway due to a burst water main. Brilliant. Francis spat as he turned his car into onto a side street. He became increasingly angry as he took an alternative route, which evidently most people in North London had opted to use as well. As he nudged agonisingly slowly home, he approached his local leisure centre. His swimming stuff was still in his boot. Wet from the previous evening, surely it couldn't work a second time. It was late already, and he still had so much to do. But then the memory of just how wonderful it felt to be gliding through the water came flooding back. Hello, Francis said cheerfully to the lifeguard as he walked out of the changing room 15 minutes later. The lifeguard was a little taken aback, but contained himself. Oh, hello again, sir, he replied with a strained smile. Francis carried on to the shallow end. The fast breaststrokers were at it again. However, Francis thought he could easily keep pace this time. A teenager taking a rest in the shallow end gave him a sceptical look as he lowered himself into the water. Francis responded by giving him a patronising smile. You're mine, Sonny, he thought to himself as he kicked off and was embraced by that wonderful feeling of freedom once more. He again swam until the pool shut and was so exhausted when he got home he forgot all about calling the police or Perkins or the fact that Carol barely noticed he was alive anymore. He was just sl- he just slept a dream of sleep, his tired muscles gratefully resting. He hadn't slept that well in years. And the next morning he went and stood by his pool with his cup of coffee, desperate just to jump in, to forget all his troubles once more. He flicked a slipper off and dipped his toe in. It was just still just too cold. Disappointed, he replaced his slipper and checked his watch. He supposed he'd better get ready for work. Time to face the music. I'm not sure what you want from me, Mrs. Sanders. I'm only halfway through my second year. This is way out of my skill set, said Tim, the son of a friend of a Carol's back from Durham on a reading week. Yes, but you go to Durham, the finest university for studying psychology, I believe. They were walking across the garden, the student looking like he wanted to do absolutely anything else. Oh, yeah, but I'm just a student. Doesn't Mr. Sanders need, you know, a professional or something? But you know, Francis, who better to deal with this than someone with a familiar face? I think you're perfect, she finished, patting him on the back. Everyone, this is Tim. He is currently achieving a first in psychology at Durham University, she explained to the others congregated at the pool. Tim waved at them all, embarrassed. 
What's your relationship with Francis? Would you say you were close? In your expert opinion, would you say that you saw this coming? The journalist said without breath, advancing towards the student. He looked terrified. Just ignore him, Carol said, ushering him towards the pool. Now, she stopped at the pool's edge, holding onto the student's shoulders and looking imploringly into his fresh face. You try and talk some sense into him. The student uncertainly crouched at the edge of the pool as Francis came gliding past. He appeared to look straight at the student as he took a breath, but he carried on his way without so much as an acknowledgement. Mr Sanders, I'm Tim Ball, Diana's son. He paused, thinking of what to say next, as Francis kicked off from the wall and started another length. Are you... are you okay? What's, what's this all about? Still, Francis continued, as if there weren't five people observing him like a possibly dangerous and hostile test animal. Tim turned round to look at Carol and shrugged. Carol crossed her arms, looking stern. And how exactly did you get into Durham? Francis strolled into the meeting. He was a few minutes late and held a pan of chocolat and a latte. The whole board was there, along with Perkins, who shot him a disgusted look. Morning all. Sorry I'm late. I had a hankering for a pastry. Feel like I've earned it. I've been swimming like a fish as of late he said, winking at Perkins and taking a seat at the head of the table. So, what's on your mind? he said, looking round at them all. Francis, it's been brought to our attention that you sent a rather, how do we put this, spurious email to Mr Perkins yesterday, said Harborough, the chairman of the board, and Handley, a good friend of Perkins' father. You're using spurious incorrectly, Francis said, staring innocently at Harborough. I beg your pardon. Spurious means false, fake, illegitimate. Exactly. You said you didn't care about Rodney Antwerp and that you would physically assault Mr Perkins. I assume that none of these things are the case, Harborough finished, his perfectly manicured moustache twitching a little as he stared down Francis. Francis continued to look innocently back. Well, you're sort of right. I didn't threaten Mr Perkins. I merely stated that if he were to talk to me like that, like one of his disobedient butlers again, I'd have to do something very specific with his fancy shoes. That isn't threatening. That is the CEO of this company attempting to instill manners into the junior members of Star. As for Mr Antwerp, I absolutely meant what I said. I could not give one shit if he wants to go with someone else. There was stunned silence. The board members were in a state of shock. Perkins, however, looked triumphant. Rodney Antwerp, Perkins began, is one of the wealthiest men in the Western Hemisphere. He is... Rodney Antwerp made his money by rolling a few tanks onto a field full of oil drills and calling it his own, Francis interrupted calmly. He has made money out of the suffering of others. Now, I know we aren't exactly innocent of behaving that way ourselves, but at least we don't have literal blood on our hands. I'm sure you've heard of what happened with Van Leesten. Lies and her hyperbole, dismissed Perkins, looking down at his papers. Maybe it is, replied Francis, and maybe he is legitimate now. But quite frankly, I made a decision that associations with a man like that would do more damage to this company than good. Are we not principled people? He looked round at them all inquisitively. All of them squirmed in their seats. These twelve old rich white men. They had gone far past the point of caring where their money came from, just as long as there, were there was plenty of it. They were only a little older than Francis, and they were all doomed, but it was not too late for Francis. Looks like we found a sticking point, said Perkins, 
a barely disguised smirk spreading across his face. This is not my decision by any means, but surely if the board would like to work with Mr Antwerp and Mr Sanders refuses to, then you will have to decide whether he is the right man to take this company forward. If any other person had tried to prompt the board to remove a CEO, they would be instantly dismissed, but this was the golden boy. Harborough looked curiously around at the rest of the board. Well, this is obviously something we need to discuss, he said to the room at large in a cowardly quiver. Francis had just about had enough. You know what? Let me save you some time. He picked up his coffee and pastry and climbed onto the table. I have made millions for you and our clients. Millions. Not anymore. He pulled the lid of the coffee and poured it all over the Redwood conference table. What are you doing, you psycho? explained Perkins, hastily standing up to avoid the spreading liquid. Something I've only dreamed of. He started pulling the pastry apart and launching bits at the board members. You are soulless destroyers of worlds, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Francis undid his flies and pulled out his penis. This is what I think of the lot of you. And he began urinating all over the table as the board members scrambled out of the room, desperately trying to avoid flying flecks of piss from getting on their expensive suits. Who rang the bloody television crew? Carol shouted, re-emerging from the house to find a cameraman, a reporter and a couple of technicians setting up lights. That was me, Mrs Sanders, shouted back the journalist. How would you say that makes you feel? Are you, are you close to jumping in a pool and joining your husband? You've got a lot to answer for, officer, Carol shouted, advancing on the policeman. Why are you still even here? I can't take my eyes off him, he replied, turning back to look at Francis in the pool. It's sort of beautiful in a way. Carol sighed with exasperation. And you, why are you still here? She said, rounding on the student. He looked terrified. Mum can't pick me up for another hour. Hell's teeth, you're at university, man. And what exactly are you going to report? She asked the reporter. Well, the chairman of Goldman Sachs has gone mental, so we're probably going to leave with that, she replied, checking her hair in a portable mirror. For the 15th time, he is not the chairman of Goldman Sachs. Jesus, what is wrong with you people? She pushed the reporter aside and walked to the edge of the pool. Francis, come in now, dear. It's getting awfully late and you must be ever so tired. I'll make you a nice cup of cocoa and then we can go to bed. I promise I won't ask you about this, this episode until you're ready. For the briefest moment, Francis seemed to slow up and look at Carol. But the next second he was off again, at the same pace he had been going all night. Francis has never shown this much any energy in his entire life, she said to herself, standing up again. Trouble in the bedroom, Mrs Sanders. Would you say you drove him to this? The journalist said, bustling forward. Oh, piss off, she spat back, and she pushed the journalist into the pool. That is assault! That is assault! The journalist yelled, gasping for breath, as Francis simply diverted his route around the splashing, dishevelled figure. No, it isn't, mate, said the still-transfixed police officer. Francis hastily pulled up his trousers, jumped off the table and dashed for the door. He knew they must have called security, and he did not want to suffer the indignity of being thrown out of the firm he had built to the success it was today. He ran to his office to grab his briefcase and a few of his own possessions. He stopped briefly, realising he didn't even have a picture of him and his wife. He could have sworn that he had had, had a framed photo from their 20th anniversary on the desk at some point. Mrs Sanders, what's going on? The board just came running through the office saying you'd gone insane. Andrew, his assistant, said breathlessly from the doorway. 
I wouldn't use the term insane. This is more of a moment of clarity, Andrew, Francis said, grabbing all the pens from his desk drawer and shoving them in his jacket pocket. The security guards arrived on the office floor and Francis spotted them and said, Now, if you don't mind, I have a retirement to plan. And he walked briskly past Andrew before turning back to him. You're too nice for this job, Andrew. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Be a primary school teacher or something. Don't end up like Perkins. He set off at a run, trying to skirt the edge of the open plan office to avoid the security. They soon spotted him, however, and advanced on him. Francis looked for his best escape route. There was a fire door 20 metres to the left of him, but he'd have to run over several desks to get to it. Since he'd already, de already desecrated an antique, antique conference table, he thought he might as well go for the spectacular exit. And with surprising grace, he hopped up onto the desks, jumping from one to the other, avoiding a diving security guard, and burst through the fire door. The alarm started blaring as Francis hastily ran down a fire escape. The security guards were calling after him, but they didn't seem to be following. He reached the bottom of the stairwell and made a beeline for the car park. His Aldi was not far away. However, there appeared to be a man in a huge overcoat and a baseball cap, carrying a cricket bat, walking towards it. The stranger reached his car's passenger side, stop, raised the cricket bat to his shoulder, ready to swing before... Stop! The man turned around. He was wearing a pair of sunglasses with a scarf covering his mouth. He sheepishly moved around as, as if deciding which direction to run. Francis pulled out a pen from his pocket and advanced towards the stranger, holding it threateningly like he was in a knife fight. Who are you? And why do you want to destroy my car? He asked. He hadn't felt this brave since, well, since he had urinated on a conference table a few minutes earlier. The stranger didn't know what to do. Francis grabbed the cricket bat and wrenched it out of his hands before swinging it back and hitting the man over the shoulder with it as hard as he could. Ah! The stranger screamed as he crumpled to the floor. Francis swung back the bat to strike again. No, stop, please, the stranger said, removing the scarf and sunglasses. Hughes? Francis said, lowering the bat. Hughes had worked for Francis until he was fired for suspected insider trading six months prior. What the hell are you playing at? Hughes looked like a defeated man. He stopped cowering and collapsed in a heap, resting his head on Francis's car. I'm sorry, Mr. Sanders, I really am. It's just no one else will hire me. No, Hughes, because you're a lunatic and a criminal, Francis said, looking at down at him in shock. You don't understand. I'll never get one now, Hughes said. He looked on the verge of tears, though that may have been due to the fact Francis had just hit him with a bat. Get one what? Francis asked, confused. An LDR8. It's all I want in this world. Francis couldn't believe it. So why the hell have you been smashing mine up? It wasn't intentional. I tried to steal it, you see, but I had no idea how. So I just sort of sat in it, pretending to drive it. Francis shook his head. I thought I'd become unhinged. Francis pulled out his keys, walked round to the driver's side and got in, throwing the cricket bat on the back. You might want to move your head. Hughes scrambled to his feet and started banging on the window. Francis unwound it a little. Hughes was crying now. It's all I want, Mr. Sanders. All I want is to go swimming. The engine ignited and he drove forward a few feet. Thank you for the cricket bat, he shouted at the window before putting his foot down. Francis drove as quickly as he could to the leisure centre, only to find it shut. He banged on the doors for a few moments, but nobody came. Screw this. I've got to pull it home, haven't I? And he drove there as quickly as he could. 
No time to waste, he thought, climbing out of the car. He walked straight out to the garden, pulled off his clothes, threw them into a, into a hedge for good measure, and jumped in the pool. And there he has remained for the last ten hours. A feat of athleticism that you would scarcely believe from anyone, let alone a man in his sixties who only started swimming a few days ago. We will stay with this through the night. This is Stella Vaughan reporting for, reporting for TWN in Hampstead. The reporter finished the camera. Are you done? Carol asked, coming out from the house once more. Yes, Mr. Sanders. Ah, great, you made me some tea. This isn't for you, Carol said, yanking the mug away from the reporter's outstretched hands. Francis was finally starting to slow up now, and Carol thought it was about time everyone went home. She took her shoes off and sat down on the pool's edge, dunking her feet in. Francis, it's almost ten o'clock. I think that's enough swimming now. Francis slowed down even more as he approached the shallow end where Carol was sitting. I've made you your cocoa. Please stop. I just want all of these people to bugger off. And finally, mercifully, as Francis approached Carol, he stopped. The camera crew hastily put on the cameras. He stopped! He's finally stopped! Let's see if we can get a word, the reporter said hastily into the camera. Francis, why did you do it? She asked, thrusting the microphone in his direction. Francis just stood there, looking round at them all with mildly puzzled expression. Finally, after three solid minutes, he broke his silence. Get the hell off my property! And with that, he trudged wearily out of the pool. Go on, get out. I have a cricket bat in my car and I'm not afraid to use it. The police officer, the student, the journalist, the reporter and all her crew all started backing off. Go on, fuck off. I want to go to bed. Their backward walks turned into hasty strides as Francis advanced towards them. Soon enough, they were running off the property. Only Carol and the paramedic remained. I'm very sorry, Mr. Sanders, but do you mind if I just check that you're all right? Paramedic, paramedic asked, tentatively moving towards him. That's probably best, Francis said wearily. Carol came walking over with the cup of cocoa as the paramedic pulled out a blood pressure counter. She handed him the mug and smiled speculatively. Are you okay, Francis? I'm fine. Just really fancy the swim, he responded as the paramedic started measuring his blood pressure. Francis smiled at his wife, taking a sip from the mug. Thank you for the cocoa, Carol. That was The Constant Swimmer from Tales of the Infinitely Possible, read by the author. Next time, we have two stories for you, If Hope Could Be Bottled and Into Baratova. Until then, why don't you enjoy a relaxing swim? Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.